But I think that the part that people miss is the level of intensity or duration that is required for for people to really notice. Um, it's it's not you know oh you know, do 10 or even do 50. It's like do 200 and you will get results. Now, the good news is that once you do that, you are creating a huge moat around yourself. It is very hard for other people to match that. And so you have a, a built-in lasting advantage, um, but but it's hard for people to, uh, to commit to doing that sometimes. That's Dory Clark. And I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do A Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned. I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do A Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Day doers, welcome back. It's another episode of the Do A Day podcast. Today, I've got on a pretty big name in the whole business coaching, perform better learn how to build your business kind of space. This is Dory Clark. If you haven't heard of her, she's basically all over every business-related publication you can find. And she's also written a bunch of books too. She's in the Harvard Business Review, uh, Forbes, for like basically everything you can imagine. She's spoken at Google, at Microsoft, the World Bank. She's all over the place. Um, she's also an adjunct professor at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. She's the author of Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, Stand Out. Um, Stand Out was named the number one leadership book of 2015 by Inc. Magazine. She's a former presidential campaign spokeswoman. New York Times described her as an expert at self-reinvention and helping others make changes in their lives. So I'm thinking you can probably guess why she's going to be on the show today. Like That's a huge part of what I try to bring with the Do A Day podcast is reinventing your life. And you get a ton of experience in how to build a business life or a professional life tied to what you actually want to do. And you heard in the clip, like so much of it is about not giving up, pushing through, realizing that it does take work. You do need perseverance and you have to push ahead and build that wealth of content about you, that wealth of knowledge about you, that wealth of social proof, as she talks about, to really build up who you are as an expert in the space you want to be expert in. So we'll jump into the episode with Dory Clark, and I know there's some good guidance in there for everyone. I will apologize. There was definitely some connection issues, so her voice cuts in and out a little bit. I think you can still get exactly what she's talking about. I cleaned it up as best I could, but just as a heads up, I'm sorry about that, um, but I think you can still hear hear the message just fine regardless. So thank you, and let's jump in with Dory. Dory Clark, thank you so much for joining me today. It's uh, it's absolutely an honor to have you here. I've been like sort of not dancing around your world, but watching you as I've gotten into my work, and and uh, of course one of my original steps in getting everything going was to reach out to you for some advice on who to help me with this, and you were really gracious then, and of course you're super gracious again with more of your time. So thank you for joining me tonight. Oh my gosh, I'm very glad to speak with you. Thanks, Brian. So, you know, I talked a little bit about it in the intro, but um, so much of your life, it seems, at least from the outside, is focused on getting people to a place of better. And it, it seems to be really focused on that career side of change. But do you do you go beyond just the career? Like, do you look at it more holistically than that? Like, what's your what's your philosophy in helping people to change their lives? So 
my dad was a psychiatrist. And the one thing that I learned from that is that I definitely don't want to be a psychiatrist. Okay. <laughs> that seems to be a really so, common phrase for people who grew up with a parent who is a psychiatrist or psychologist. I think that's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it was, uh, it, it, it just seemed, I mean, my dad found it immensely rewarding. He was it's like it was just the best job in the world for him, but but looking at it and uh, you know just what what his life and his work were like, it just seemed like the last thing that I would ever want to do, and so I am very much the uh, of the school of helping people help themselves. Um, so you know sometimes I, I actually had a conversation with someone a while ago who was asking, are you a motivational speaker or, you know, like do you consult mm. on that? And I was actually like, no, not at all. Because if people aren't motivated, then I'm like, yeah, I, I can't help you. <laughs> Sorry. You know, I, I'm not, I'm not telling the horse to drink. Um, I, what I like to do is to take people who are highly motivated professionals who are, you know, they're thoughtful, they're talented people they want to get their ideas out there and and have them uh, recognized and heard, but they're just not sure how to do it uh, mm. because it is pretty complicated in today's society. I mean, it is crowded, it is noisy, it is competitive, and for a lot of folks, it it is kind of complicated. Like, well, you know, how how do I get my ideas heard? I mean, is yeah. it like social media? Should I be giving speeches? Should I write a book? You know, how do I do any of these things? And so I have interviewed hundreds of professionals. Uh, you know, very very successful thought leaders in in their various fields have written about this extensively so i have a pretty good sense of the mechanics of how to do that and so i um i like to to help people with that facet specifically um so i do do executive coaching but it's in a pretty narrow band it's about how people can become recognized experts in their field uh, but okay. if people aren't interested in that or they're not motivated or they don't really want to do it it's like you know great god bless but i am not the person for you yeah well, that's, I mean, that's, that's a level of honesty that I think a lot of people who claim to be professionals and experts lack is they want the business. And I think you probably found staying true to your, your actual path and your actual expertise probably yields much better results than if you just tried to take everyone's money who you possibly could. Yeah, I think that's true. And it's also, especially the case that folks are not going to be satisfied if the if what you offer is not really what they, they want. I mean, you could you could theoretically fudge it in the beginning, but if it turns out that, that just at a fundamental level they're not interested in what you have to offer, if they want something else from you, uh, it's not like your amazingness is going to make up for that. Yeah. Um, and the last the last thing that I ever want is an unsatisfied customer. Um, a because I don't like to you know have people not be satisfied right. but also they create a lot of organizational problems for you it's just a huge psychic drain and it is never worth the money for that to be the case that's a really good point and i don't think people get that it's not just that you're not providing value to them you're taking it away from yourself you're, you're definitely going to expend more serving someone in an untrue way yes exactly so what what brought you to all this? Like you you weren't born this amazing expert on being an expert. So what's what's the path that got you to this place? Because I know you've been through a lot, but you've produced a lot, and something must have built you into this amazing expert. So really, what 
sparked the the interest for me in researching this was my own desire to try to get my ideas better known. Um, I was I, I started my business in 2006 as a marketing consultant. And the first thing that I realized was, oh my God, everyone's a marketing consultant. And right. I, I had to differentiate myself and differentiate my business somehow. And I just, I wasn't sure how to do it. And I, I certainly wasn't sure how to, how to gain a, a real reputation above and beyond the inner circle of people that already knew me. And so I just committed myself to trying to study that process. And so I, I interviewed, you know, ultimately I, I started writing and, you know, blogging for different publications like Forbes and Harvard Business Review and whatnot, ended up writing books as a result of it. Um, but I interviewed literally just hundreds and hundreds of thought leaders in their fields and tried to reverse engineer what I had learned into a replicable formula so that uh, regular talented professionals could get their ideas heard. Now, a repu replicable formula, I mean, the caveat here, of course, is it's not to say it's like some plug and play easy formula. It does require a lot of work. Yeah. But, uh, but the good news is that there's, there's a lot of professionals that are not afraid of hard work. They just want to know that they're doing the right things. And that, that is what I sought to provide is, uh, is the, the existential certainty that okay, these are the things that work. If you apply yourself, which is not easy, but if you apply yourself and are consistent and persistent, you are able to get results. And is that, is that how you built your own success? Because you, I mean, I, I know like you, you have put a ton out there in a number of incredibly well-respected places. How did you get to that? Was it basically this path that you're teaching or did you have opportunities handed to you that, you know, you didn't have to struggle for? Um, the vast majority of are things that I that I work pretty hard to cultivate. Um, for instance, you know, we talk um, oftentimes in our culture about you know, oh, you know, write write some things, create content, and I think that most people understand. Okay, this is this is a good thing to do. Yeah, let's let's get some content out there. I think you know, there's there's general agreement that that's a good idea, but I think that the part that people miss is the level of intensity or duration that is required for for people to really notice. Um, so mm. that strategy does work. But in my case, over the past, um, say, eight years, I have written more than 500 articles for uh, publications like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review, Entrepreneur, Time, etc. Um, so it's, it's just a, a very high level of um, of consistency in putting that out there. And the truth is it took me about two to three years and several hundred articles, uh, before I started to see any incoming inquiries, oh. um, you know, in, in, in sort of a, a sustained way. Um, it's, it's not, you know, Oh, you know, do 10 or even do 50. It's like do 200 and you will get results. Now, the good news is that once you do that, you are creating a huge moat around yourself. You're creating a huge moat that separates you from the competition. It is very hard for other people to match that. And so you have a, a built-in lasting advantage, um, but but it's hard for people to uh, to commit to doing that sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I think especially in our society and, and more and more in our society, people, they put one thing out there or maybe two or three and they're like, why didn't this go viral? You know, why, I, I see these people who are making millions off their YouTube channel. Why isn't anybody watching my video? And then they, they give up. Like what, what do you think it was about 
your work and, and the persistency that kept you in that? Cause that is a long struggle of a huge amount of work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, um, I was just convinced that eventually I would get results. Like I had a high degree of certainty that doing these activities would eventually pay off. And I, I think that, that sometimes, um, what holds people back or, you know, what, what makes them quit is that they're looking to a certain extent at the wrong metric. And by wrong metric, I don't necessarily mean that it's entirely erroneous, but I mean it's the wrong metric at that time. So if you have done three blog posts, let's say, and you're like, where are my inquiries for six-figure consulting engagements? The, you know, the, the timing on that right. is just really wrong because you, you need to build up a level of trust with customers uh, for them to approach you for something like that. And if somebody's going to come to you cold for, for something that's very, you know, expensive, it's because they've heard your name for years yeah. and they know that you're really good. So you don't have to validate that. Um, however, there are benefits that accrue to you from day one, and you just have to understand what those are. So for instance, there was a, uh, there was a social proof benefit, you know, from the, from the time that I was able to start blogging for different publications, I could then say in my bio, oh, Dory Clark is a blogger for Forbes or for the Harvard Business Review or for Entrepreneur. Yeah. And that carried a certain amount of social weight that was useful to me. Even it might not have been as useful as getting an unsolicited six-figure consulting contract, but it was still useful. And so it, it, it prompted me to keep, keep on doing it. Well, and the difference is that the contract is great for your bank account. The the exposure and the brand name that comes with all the exposure that you got for those, you know, really well-known publications is that's a momentum driver. Like the, yes. the consulting contracts great in and of itself. It might lead to other work if people refer you and, you know, network and that sort of thing. But once you have those brand names behind you and you keep pushing for that, that's clout that doesn't go. It's, it's part of that moat you're talking about. It's not just the amount of content. It's, it's the instant recognition that some of that content gets by association with a strong brand. Yes. So when, when I asked you about what, you know, what got you to that point, we're still starting pretty late in the stories and, and you'd mentioned you know, your dad was a psychiatrist and you didn't want to go down that path. What, what's the path in between? Cause I know, you know, a little bit from your story that you were not quite Doogie Hauser, but, quite a, a an achieving young person went to college early you, you you had this success from very early on was there a struggle though was it did things always just like you're brilliant you get things done you know what to do or or did you go through tougher times to learn some of that um you know doing school work uh was not was not that hard for me, to be honest. Um, you know, it's, it's not like I had to overcome dyslexia or something yeah. like that. I, I just, uh, I just, just kind of put my mind to it and did it. Um, I think that the part, the part that was, that was harder, or at least, uh, a source of, a source of motivation undergirding it, uh, you know, undergirding my desire to go away to college early, which, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, how could you do that? How could you 
you know, it like, you know, what they say, oh, when I was 14, I could have never done that. Um, but the thing was, I was, I was 14 and I was growing up in this little town in North Carolina, which, you know, my, of course, uh, you know, when you're a kid, you are not picking your location. Your parents have picked right. the location and they had picked a location that was really good and worked for them. And it was just not one that worked for me. Uh, that's kind of, that's kind of how the, how the, how the dice works, uh, when you're a kid and, uh, it was, uh, it was challenging for me because, you know, as I was come, you know, coming into being a teenager, I realized I was gay, which was, you know, not a, not a thing back then. I literally didn't know any gay people. Um, you know, sometimes, uh, people are like, Oh, there was no one gay there. But like, like really, it was not until a year after I actually came out to myself that I actually ever met a gay person. So I, I was like very much kind of coming to this realization on my own. Um, and that's pretty so extreme. I knew they were out there somewhere. <laughs> like that, that's a yeah, lot of were... isolation to feel in life as a whole. Is there's there's no one like me here. Yeah. And there was no internet, you know, so True. so there was there was not really ways of uh of connecting with with people. So I just kind of had to, had to deal with that. And so what really motivated me was this idea, like, okay, just bide my time, you know, and, and I am going to, as soon as I can find a way to go to a place that will be more amenable to me. And, uh, so that's, that's what I did. I came up with multiple strategies. I had a plan A, a plan B, and a plan C. I was very organized and very motivated um, about different possibilities for getting out of my little town. And fortunately for me, plan A, which was to go to college early, uh, worked out and I got accepted into the program. And so I was uh, I was able to do that, which was uh, which was a real blessing for me. Yeah. And that sparked, that sparked a freedom and a path forward that you you wouldn't, I would imagine you would not have had if you had just continued on existing down south in this community that didn't feel like a fit. Yeah. Yeah. It, it would have been a little bit soul crushing to have to feel like I was just kicking around for another three years, just, just waiting. <laughs> yeah. So, and I know that that's not the only time that you've faced difficulty from, I mean, it's not quite your professional life, but as a kid, school is your professional life, if you want to call it that. But that's your job, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but you, and, and I, so I think this is really important when people hear from people who are really successful and have achieved a lot, there's a lot of presuming that goes on. It's like, well, you know, you've always had it easier. You're just, and especially with your academic career, like the presumption would just be like, you're super smart and you know, you've achieved everything you wanted to. You don't know what I'm going through, but you've had, you've had downs as well as ups in your career. Like what are some of the things that you faced that maybe were setbacks or that you struggled through in your own personal career before getting to this place where you are now? Yeah. So, so one area, Brian, that was, uh, there was a, a challenge or a setback, uh, specifically academically, actually, was that I, after after I finished grad school, I so I went straight from undergrad into grad school because you know I was young, so I, I wasn't I wasn't really jonesing to enter the workforce at yeah. eighteen. So I, I did a master's degree, uh, which took me to age twenty. And after I finished that, you know, I had had a good run in school. Like I had been, you know, I, I had gotten good grades and I liked it and I really admired my professors. And so I. I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just be a professor. You know, that, that makes sense. So I applied to, uh, to doctoral programs to do English literature. 
And I was, I was really like stunned, honestly, because I ended up not getting into any of them. And I was, uh, I was really, really not counting on that. Um, I, what I realized afterwards was that I had, uh, there was just a, a crucial piece of information that I didn't understand, which is that the qualities that make you a really good candidate for college, um, meaning that you're well-rounded, you do a lot of things, you know, et cetera. Colleges love that, right? Um, I was pretty, pretty good at that. Um, that is the exact opposite of what they are looking for when you are applying to to uh, a PhD program. Um, they want you to be very narrowly specialized and focused. And I was, I was not that. And I, I think it made me perhaps an, an unattractive candidate. Uh, and I just, I just had no idea. I really didn't realize that. And so I got turned down by all these programs and I really, I, that was a case where I had no plan B. I had no idea. And so I was pretty devastated for a while and I really had to kind of scramble to figure out what my, what my next step was going to be. And you hadn't really faced that kind of rejection in your, your sort of, you know, calling school professional again, but your, your professional career yet. Like you, to get into a good school at age 14 and then to get into a, you know, good grad program right after that, you hadn't been through that kind of rejection yet. Yeah, it's true. I mean, certainly I had been, you know, dumped by girls, uh, which was way worse. But <laughs> <laughs> but nonetheless, professionally, I had not uh, I had not been been rejected in that way. Yeah. That is true. It is. You know, I mean, it, it's a totally different path than, than what I plan on us talking about. But it's a really interesting insight. Um, and I think for any parents or um, high school kids getting towards that college point or just kids who are caught in this whole extracurricular race. Like it's a nuclear arms race of extracurriculars that kids are in and their parents are pushing them into to get into college. Cause like if you're not, you know, doing 17 sports and three different kinds of instruments and music and art and whatever at like age two and Don't a half. Don't forget speaking Mandarin, Brian. Speaking, well, that, <laughs> I just didn't, I didn't think you even had to say it now. Like, isn't that just a given? Um, yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah, all, all of those I things. I don't mean to be so obvious. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, you know, your kid will never get into college. Um, and that's the, the town I live in outside of Austin. That's actually a really big discussion point is the high school kids are burning out and it's like, they're not 47 and they're not like accountants or doctors or <laughs> like they're children. But it's an interesting one that I feel like there's probably an inflection. I hope there's an inflection point coming where we wake up a little bit and being well-rounded does not mean driving like crazy through 50 different things. And, and maybe we're not creating, you know, the, the ideal path for people who do ultimately have a dream they want to pursue because there's no identity. You're just a you know, a combination of a gazillion different activities that you've been signed up for. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so you didn't get into into a doctoral program. You didn't go down that path. Of course, you do professorial work now. So eventually it worked out in a different way. Um, yeah, that was really gratifying. That was like, that was like FU academia. Take that. <laughs> here's, here's an I told you so. Um, exactly. And I didn't even have to get the doctorate. It's like I got seven yeah. years of my life back. It was very satisfying. Yeah, that works well. Um, and, and my God, like the, the uh, you know, talking about like the brand of some of these places that you've written for from the, the professor work that you do, these are all the time. Like I, I went to a very good business school as well. 
Um, I was waiting to see mine listed there, but hey, you know, I guess we can't keep up. But you've got, I mean, it's it's every top program you can imagine. You've been there, you've taught there. Which one did you go to? I'm, I'm a Tuck alumni. It's, it's good school. Oh, that's great. It's all right. Yeah, Tuck Tuck is great. I um, you know, don't don't worry. I've 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 never I've never actually uh, spoken at Tuck, but I'm part of this thing now called the MG100. It's a it's a program that uh, Marshall Goldsmith is running, where he has these like hundred coaches that are sort of part of his. They have been tapped to be part of his coterie, you could say. And uh, anyway. One of the fellow members of this MG100 cohort is uh, Praveen Kopala, who oh, is, I think, the, awesome. the dean. Yeah, yeah he's at, at Tuck. and so he has roped me in to do some uh, mentoring good. with some some Tuckies right now. Good, so good. Yeah, I'm I, I'm plugged in. I'm All plugged right. in. All right, I'm feeling better now. Um, but <laughs> so so that's great. You got you got your revenge on the whole. The whole, um, you know, higher education world. That's awesome. And, and more importantly, that world is benefiting from your work. But I know you, you've also been in the political world and that is, I mean, putting aside politics today, which I, I try to stay out of because it's, it's upsetting and it's intense <laughs> and all that. But I mean, that is a world that you either completely win or you completely lose. And that's, you know, that's yes. another like, I'm partially curious if you're a glutton for punishment, but. Talk about that experience and and how that played out and and you know just fed into this story. Yeah, yeah. So I, so after I did not get into my doctoral program, I ended up taking a couple of internships uh, because I was like, all right, I got to do something. I've got to get some more. You know, I guess I, if I'm going to get a job, I need to get some uh, some additional professional credentials. So I did an internship with a uh, state rep uh, in his office. And then I did uh, uh, on Beacon Hill. And uh, nice. then I did an internship, uh, an editorial internship at Boston Magazine. And from the internship on Boston Magazine, I got a few clips, quote unquote, which is uh, which is the little cool kid newspaper term for, you know, you, you write some little tiny stories. And I was able to leverage that into a job uh, at, a, at a newspaper, uh, the Boston Phoenix, the now defunct uh, yes. Boston Phoenix. And uh, so I worked there for about a year and then I ended up getting laid off from that. That was, uh, that was, you know, really a big kind of career setback. Um, I, I got laid off uh, the date that they happened to pick. This was rather unfortunate was Monday, September 10th, 2001. They laid me off. So the next day was an extremely poor day to start one's job hunt. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Talk about auspicious uh, timing. I know, right? Yeah. And and, uh, and of course, because alternative news weeklies are known to be so generous, they had given me four days of severance pay. So it took, took uh, you to Friday. To, yeah, it took me yeah. to Friday exactly. Uh, so you know, I I had some time, <laughs> but it's uh, after that I had to really scramble to find a way to you know, put, put the pieces together and make, make a living. Um, so I was doing some freelance writing for a while, just running around trying to get some gigs. Um, but what I ended up doing, because I, I just could not get another newspaper job. Um, there were hiring freezes. No, nobody was hiring. And it was a terrible time. Yeah. Terrible time. Yeah. It was, it was a terrible, terrible time specifically then. And also of course, more broadly, we didn't really 
didn't know it at the time, but the newspaper industry was at the start of its collapse. Um, between 2000 and 2015, close to 40% of American journalists got laid off. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was not helpful entering the industry. Um, so I ended up actually shifting over. I had been a political reporter. And so when I got offered a job to work on a campaign and run press on a campaign, I, uh, I ultimately I grappled with it and I decided that I would go ahead and do it. And so I became a, a press secretary on a gubernatorial campaign. Uh, this was Robert Reich's campaign for governor oh, yeah. in 2002. You're around. Yep. And, uh, it was, uh, it was a good race, but, but we lost. And, uh, so we had to kind of deal with that. So at the time, uh, I was, very interested in trying to get on a presidential race because you know if you're if if you're working in politics that's kind of the holy grail is to get to to work at that level um so it again took took a lot of strategizing and maneuvering uh but i was ultimately able to get a job doing press uh and being a spokesperson for howard dean during the 2004 uh election yeah. cycle but of course he lost too <laughs> Yeah, and he unfortunately um, became a meme before becoming a meme was really a thing, wasn't it? It's true. Yeah. It's true. If uh, if YouTube had existed back then, yeah, it would have been even crazier. But as it as it were, um, he managed to be just wall to wall for a good ten days on uh, on just on on repeat uh, with with his scream. Uh, so it it definitely and got then, pretty huge. Yeah, and Dave Chappelle impersonated him and. And kept that going for a little while longer. Yeah, that was. Uh, I felt I felt bad for the guy on one level, and and I honestly I laughed on another level. But yeah, that was so. That that's rough. So you and Robert Rice, a totally different person, um, at least outwardly. I, I was sort of around his circle growing up. Um, his kids were a little bit younger than me, but um, he's he was just seemed like a really great person, much calmer, and obviously hugely successful as well, obviously working in the Clinton administration, the first Clinton administration. So this is some good connection yeah, story. Yeah. Definitely yeah, like good absolutely. network building. <laughs> it's, it's true. It's true. I mean, not, uh, you know, in, in, in some ways it's, uh, it didn't feel helpful at the, at the time since sure. you know, you're, you're, you keep hoping your candidate will win. Uh, but for sure, they were great learning experiences and great, uh, great connections and, and all of that. Um, but so after the Dean campaign, I ended up running a nonprofit uh, for a couple of years. And it was in the course of running the nonprofit that I sort of had this revelation that running the nonprofit nonprofit you know was basically running a business and then i thought oh you know maybe i could run my own business and so that kind of started it out interesting and then and, and that really took you into that period 2006 and beyond that you were talking about before yeah that's exactly yeah. right and then it's all it's all easy and and huge since then and there's no stress or anything right all these successful books you have everything you want it's all simple Grass yeah, is super green, right? <laughs> well, it's an interesting, I mean, you know, we talked a little bit before recording, but there's a flip side to, to struggle. And again, it's when people see success that they, uh, you know, they, they judge that, well, it must be easier. I wish I had that. And yeah, it's great. And it comes with difficulty too. There's a huge amount of pressure. You have to keep the machine going. You have to keep pushing it. And, um, cause if you go quiet and you, know, you talked about build up your 200 articles and you've since written 500 plus, you can't stop or that it, it just comes to, cause someone else will eventually, 
you know, they, they're, they're building their mode at the same time. And so you do have to keep pushing regardless of anything else that's demanding your attention, personal, professional, or otherwise. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it, it's not like you have to necessarily be um, killing yourself at all times, but you do, uh, certainly there's, there's periods of time where I'm producing lots of content and then there's periods uh, where I'm turning my attention to, to other elements, but you always, it's okay to have rhythms, but you always have to come back to it. You can't just yes. sort of abandon something and, and be like, oh yeah, I'm done forever. Yeah. So as we start to wind things down, I'm, I'm curious about, and I, I want to respect not giving away all of what's important in the work that you do that, you know, if you're working one-on-one -on -one with someone, um, so you don't have to give away all the secret sauce, but you had said early on about, you know, building your brand and, and all the, the mediums you can do that in. And, you know, you have to produce this content and that and, and all these different social media platforms and writing, et cetera. Is it a one size fits all? Like, look, you have to do all these things because that's the world today. Or can someone be more focused in? Like, how do you have that conversation with someone who's seeking to build a platform? Well, I think, Brian, the, you know, the, the first thing is pacing yourself and understanding how to triage and prioritize. Um, so for instance, I, you know, I have this online course that I do called Recognize Expert and we do monthly webinars. And so we had one earlier today and one of my participants in there is, is starting a consulting business. And, you know, she, she had a list of all the right things. She's like, all right, I, you know, I want to get clients. Um, I've been thinking about all the things that I could do. I could write a book. I could, uh, start blogging on LinkedIn. I could get uh, speaking gigs at local corporations. I could n network at, uh, you know, professional associations. I mean, you know, it was like, it was like eight things and they're all good ideas. You know, n none of them is like, oh, that's terrible. Don't do that. But the key is that you, you will not succeed and you will drive yourself crazy easy if you're trying to do all of them simultaneously. Um, yeah. Part of it is, and you know, this is, this is kind of the, the, the precepts that I try to teach in my book, Stand Out and the Recognized Expert course. It's understanding the process of laying things out sequentially so that you are doing them in the right order so that they can build on each other and snowball. So in this case, for instance, this woman, she's, you know, one of, one of her things was about, um, you know, oh, well, maybe I could try to get on local TV. And I'm like, yes, perfect. Definitely getting on local TV is a great thing to do. It is very hard to directly go at being on local TV if you're just starting. That is a little, little bit of a fool's errand because if you're just kind of pitching yourself and you don't already have a ton of credentials, they're not going to respond that well. The better thing to do is, is to focus on trying to build your social proof by blogging for high-profile publications. And when you do that, A, it's social proof. B, how do TV bookers actually find their guests? Well, the way they find their guests is that they they read the newspapers every morning, or you know the blogs, or what you know whatever the sort of yeah. industry relevant things are, and so they see that they get ideas and that they will call you. You are a hundred times better off getting the TV guys to call you rather than just you being a supplicant pitching them. So if you're choosing the thing to do first, definitely be writing and creating that first, and and then you know yes, TV is great. But let that happen a little bit down the road rather than trying to force it too early on. So those are the kinds of things that I, I work with my students on. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's a recurring theme in all of this advice is this notion of, you know, it's like going back to 
you have to put in the work. You have to keep putting the content out there. You have to be consistent. You're also talking about the order of it so that you build the right things in the right order rather than killing yourself chasing something that you're probably not ready to have yet. And you could get it with less effort if you build the foundation first. But this, this yeah. sense of like, I'm an expert. I just want it now. Like, but my message resonates. People want to hear it. I mean, we, we, we all have something great to say. It just doesn't mean that the world is quite ready to hear it yet. And you kind of have to build up to that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, it's, I think of it in some ways is earning the credibility to say something. So, you know, meaning for instance, there's a lot of people out there that want to be, you know, let's say spiritual teachers or something like that. And, you know, especially for something like that, you may have great ideas, you may have great advice, but the world is not going to take the time to really analyze your message and compare it to everybody else's message. What you kind of need to do, and this is true whether you're trying to be, you know, the next kind of Dalai Lama, or if you're just, you know, a regular person trying to write a book, you need to answer the question. And it is an annoying question for, for sure to answer, but you need to answer the question how is it that I have um, made myself qualified, appear, appear qualified enough to have this thing? What is it that, that would, on first glance, by a casual observer, show them that I am qualified to deliver this message? Because the truth is, you may indeed be qualified to deliver the message, perhaps even more qualified than most other people, but they are not going to give you a chance because they are so busy, so overwhelmed, etc. And so you need to give that if you want it to be heard, like if you want to if you want to play play the game in order to actually have it work, you you need to set things up so that they don't have to work so hard to understand that you're qualified because they're just not going to want to do it. This is where social proof comes in. This is one of the three key points that I talk about um, in becoming a recognized expert. Social proof is basically what is your credibility? You know, what 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 are the affiliate that you have that allow other people to look at you and say, oh, okay, well, she's clearly qualified. She's clearly pre-vetted. Let's give her a chance. If you can do that, it makes it a million times easier for your message to be heard. Yeah. You know, we do that with anything that has ratings, you know, whether you're shopping on Amazon or looking for a doctor or picking a restaurant to go to, when you see one that's two stars versus one that's four and a half, it stands out to you. This is the equivalent of that. You know, we, we don't have Yelp for human messages. I don't know. Maybe there's a site that rates inspirational and, you know, helpful, uh, guides and coaches and, and things. But, uh, that's a, a way you get there is you have that social proof and it's sort of, you know, the five star system, but for experts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Dory, is there anything that we're not hitting on that you're like, Brian, you're completely missing it. This is the most crucial thing and you're not even asking me it before we, we wrap up. I want to make sure I don't miss the boat on, it's like, oh, that would have been incredible to share if I was just smart enough to ask you about it. <laughs> well, I, I appreciate it. I think you're, I think you're rocking and rolling uh, with all this. But, you know, one thing I, I will mention as we talk about how to, how people can kind of create their own unique messages and be heard is that um, one thing I will just mention is that I, I do have a free resource for people, which is the 42 page standout self-assessment. And it helps people walk through how to find and share their unique idea 
with the world. And uh, that's drawn from my research with thought leaders about how they actually, the, the specific steps that they took to become successful and get heard. And if anyone would like to, to get it for free, you can at doryclark.com. It's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K.com slash join, J-O-I-N. Yeah, and obviously we'll definitely put the links to that in the show notes. And, and people should go to doryclark.com anyway. I do want to call out I know there are people who heard 42 pages and they freaked out and said, no, I'm not doing that. I think, (laughs) well, what what they've just done is you've self-selected as someone who is going to choose the more, you know, the the non-mindful, non-introspective path that is going to lead you back to a point of waking up and being like, wait, how did I even get here? This is not what I want to be doing. If hearing about a process that may take you a few pages of reading and, and sort of homework, to get through scares you away from going down the path of changing your life towards what you wish you were doing, then you just may not be ready for the journey, but you shouldn't shy away from putting in that self-work because you won't get there otherwise. Like that is really valuable. I'm not scared by 42 pages. I hope other people aren't either, but I do find that people like, you know, you ask, you're asking me too many questions. Give me the one question. Like, what's the one thing I need to do? It's like, that's, it's not really the way life works. If you really want to get your whole picture into a different place, be willing to put some work in. And it's not for, it's not for me. They're not answering you with, you know, any of the questions that you pose in that exercise or any of the readings. They don't have to respond to you about it. It's for them. And if you can't do that exercise for yourself, then what's the point? Hells yeah. You yeah. got it, Brian. Yeah. Dory, you are amazing. DoryClark.com. Is there, is there anywhere else people should be looking for you? Obviously, there's a gazillion places they can find your work. And I know you link to that from DoryClark.com. Are there, are there other key places that are, they're like, people need to go check this out? Oh man. I mean, that's kind of the hub, but, uh, you know, I've done, uh, I've done a few, a few TEDx's. If people want to, you know, search for my name and TEDx in, uh, in YouTube, they can check out some of the talks that are based on my books as well. Yeah. The only thing I would warn people about is it's kind of addictive. So don't give yourself five minutes to check out Tori's content because it's, it's, it's like a gateway drug. That first thing you look at, it's going to lead you to the next article. And as she said, there's over 500 of them out there. So give yourself a little bit of time because there's, there's some really, I think really inspiring content that, and you do give a lot of it out there for people to start moving forward. And that's, that's awesome. I really appreciate that. Oh, thank you. I've never been called a gateway drug. It's, I guess that's my new subtitle is like the ma- the marijuana of management. All right. Look, if your <laughs> next book has that anywhere on the cover, I want some kind of royalty. I'm just, I'm putting that out there. We're saying it in public. There's a re- you know, <laughs> recorded record of, of this conversation. Um, that's right. Yeah. I can't, I can't say, uh, I've ever called anyone that before, but Hey, there's a first time for everything. Um, Dory, That's thank you right. so much for, for being on and sharing this much of that inspiration. Cause, um, there are a lot of people who have something brilliant and inspirational and change provoking that put it behind a paywall and you put so much of it out there and that helps make the world much better. So I seriously appreciate that. Well, thank you very much, Brian. It's great talking with you. Cool. And with that, you know, today is a new day. Go out and do it. Yes. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you, Dory. Hey, thank you. What did you think about that? Dory Clark. Pretty amazing, huh? There's definitely for people who are thinking about building a business around themselves or a startup or 
you know, some something that needs help in getting the word out and establishing itself or yourself as an expert in a field, that stuff was gold. And Dory's, she's really well known for teaching this stuff. You can pay a ton of money to get it. And she just shared some some serious nuggets of wisdom with all of us for free. So pretty cool. But there's a lot more to be had. So do go to doryclark.com. You can find out about her books. She has a lot of her articles that she puts out that you can grab a hold of for free, obviously, and get some really good information about it. Um, and if you're interested in working with her or having her speak, uh, you can find out more about that right there at doryclark.com. And of course, follow her on social media. As you're going to follow me on social media at Brian Falchuk, if you don't follow me yet. And of course, you can also follow at Do A Day. And you can also head over to doadaybook.com to get more episodes of the podcast, to get the book, to find out more about what's going on with Do A Day and with me. Or you can go to brianfalchuk.com and get the same. Um, you can also, you should also, if you haven't yet, subscribe to this show. Really, really important for you to keep getting the inspiration that I'm trying to put out here. Just get it automatically. So subscribe. Make sure you don't miss an episode. And if you like what you're getting, leave a review. I know I say that a lot, but it really does help tremendously to help get the word out. Uh, it helps with our ranking in iTunes and you know whatever platform you want to listen on. So it would mean the world to me. Subscribe, rate the show, follow me on social media, follow Dory, and come on back next time because there's definitely going to be more solid content to help you go out and do it.